Welcome to Conversations in Clinical Trial Readiness, a series featuring life science executives who share their stories and insights related to clinical operations and clinical trial readiness. My name is Kelly Rich. I'm the EVP of Product and Clinical Research Solutions at Archimedics and your host of this series. Today, we're speaking with Arkez Starling, CEO and founder of Revelis Clinical Services. Revelis is a purposeful, technology-enabled clinical research company that focuses on decentralized clinical trial solutions to serve their mission of bringing hope closer to home. Arkez has over 18 years providing high-touch pharmacy services, clinical research operations, specialty drug distribution, and clinical management to patients with rare and complex diseases. He's consulted and worked with dozens of biopharmaceutical companies from pre-launch to commercialization development and patient access programs for new specialty pharmaceutical therapies. Today, we'll be discussing Arquez's inspiration for starting Revelis, the main challenges Revelis has faced with clinical trials, the decentralized trial process, and how decentralized trials will evolve in the future, and much more. Um, I am really excited to welcome Arquez uh, today to our discussion. Uh, so Arquez, uh, would you be willing to spend a few minutes and just tell us a little bit about your background? Absolutely. Thank you for this opportunity, Kelly. Uh, again, by way of introduction, Arkes Starling. I'm the founder and CEO of Revelis Clinical Services. And Revelis is a very purposeful technology-enabled clinical research company that is enabling patients with rare and complex diseases to participate in clinical trials in the comfort of their home. We do so by leveraging uh, commercially available uh, integrated technology and decentralized clinical trial services so that patients that are, again, willing uh, to participate in clinical trials, their procedures, their clinical procedures, the data, uh, the investigational product administration, all of the very meaningful uh, activities that are traditionally done in the site can now be done safety, safely and, uh, and efficaciously in, in the home. Yeah, I can see that that's even more important these days, right? Um, maybe you can tell our audience just a little bit more about what inspired you uh, to really kick this off um, uh, and build uh, this type of CRO? Well, you know, interesting enough, I firmly believe that every blessing has a backstory and my backstory is a, a little spiritual for me. Uh, uh, it was, uh, you know, the, 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 the need that really uh, was crystallized for me from a personal experience. Uh, I have a mother who uh, had um, spent roughly about a two year odyssey of you know, navigating uh, the complexities around ultimately being diagnosed with a rare, uh, a rare disease. Um, in my capacity and in a past life professionally, I was responsible for uh, the clinical research business that provided investigational product uh, services uh, and distribution and, and supply chain for uh, clinical trials. And so naturally uh, during uh, the uh, the actual diagnosis process, we were, were excited to receive a diagnosis, but only to be met with frustration uh, to learn that there actually wasn't any treatment, uh, which is not uncommon for rare disease patients uh, with uh, nearly 95% of them not having FDA approved treatment. So uh, during that particular situation with the physician uh, engaged and the healthcare practitioners engaged, I asked, well, clearly perhaps maybe there's a clinical trial. Uh, and um, at that moment, uh, uh, she did not know, but uh, we uh, left that uh, appointment and ultimately uh, uh, decided to do some research to see if there was a potential clinical trial that my mother could participate in. Uh, there actually was. There actually, when we, uh, when we started to do our, our, our research and 
and ultimately discovered there was a clinical trial. However, um, the actual trials were not here locally. Uh, and um, that really set me out on this journey uh, because we were really frustrated that uh, we had, you know, uh, my mom, which was definitely interested and willing and, uh, uh, and able to participate, uh, but the clinical trials were not accessible to her. And so, uh, interesting enough, Revelis is a, uh, a congruence of my professional experiences. I, again, as I shared, I ran the clinical research business for a very large organization. And then prior to that, I had uh, oversight over home infusion specialty pharmacies in which we did provide clinical research in the home. So I have, uh, you know, uh, essentially combined those experiences to launch, uh, again, a very purposeful organization, which is Rebellus Clinical Services. Yeah, you can definitely see the passion you have. And I, I can uh, tell that, you know, having that tie to your family would be great motivation. Um, likely much of our audience is really familiar with the traditional CRO do you think that you could like highlight the key differences? Because I think those differences might help us further talk about decentralized trials. In what ways are you specifically different than the, the traditional CRO people are familiar with? Absolutely. Well, first and foremost, we, we, we like to in kind joke about the fact that we are a different CRO uh, in the fact that we are a collaborative research organization. Uh, it's certainly something that, you know, we aim as a part of our uh, our, our competitive advantage is how we engage and really with an emphasis on uh, collaboration and high touch services, both from a patient services as well as uh, a customer engagement. Um, but uh, as you think about your traditional CROs that are providing outsourced services, we are an organization that is hyper-focused uh, and uh, specializing in hybrid decentralized clinical trial uh, approaches. and. Uh, we are an organization, again, that has uh, a singular focus on providing uh, an intense solution for decentralized clinical trials so that patients uh, that have often uh, not had access to these clinical trials uh, through the, the advent of decentralized clinical trials and integrated technology, they can participate. Yeah, that, that sounds great. Um, I'm sure as you've kind of pushed into this space, which is relatively new to, to many, you've faced challenges along the way. Uh, could you talk a little bit about some of the main challenges and how Revelis has met those? Yeah, I, well, I think there's certainly, you know, I think there's industry challenges and there's operational uh, uh, challenges, but I do want to take a, a moment to highlight some of the, I think, you know, kind of in, industry challenges. And I think first and foremost, what we've experienced in 2020 with the global pandemic, COVID-19, has truly illuminated the, 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 uh, the opportunity for decentralized clinical trials. Uh, the general philosophy and opinions of you know, uh, pharma, uh, clinical development leaders uh, in 2008 and early 2009 was decentralized clinical trials were nice to do someday. Uh, and the general attitude was, Tell me why I need it. Uh, and we understand and recognize most of, you know, all of the advantages. However, there really wasn't a, a, a real need to uh, adopt the decentralized clinical trials. Uh, however, uh, last year we've seen, uh, or, you know, at the beginning of this year, we've seen um, obviously, you know, an unprecedented un a time with, you know, COVID-19 were many of the sites are inaccessible, patients are being encouraged to stay at home. 
and to practice social distancing. And so this event, this global event has truly uh, you know, uh, illuminated the fact that decentralized clinical trials does provide a mechanism for the continuation of clinical trial activities for patients to be able to engage in clinical trials in the comfort of their home. And so one of the major challenges is, is, is an industry with change management. I think we see that, um, you know, there is a general just misunderstanding of decentral, decentralized clinical trials. And this is largely, Kelly, largely because there's inconsistency in the nomenclature. Uh, I mean, if you, you, you Google decentralized clinical trials, you'll see remote, you'll see virtual trials, you'll see hybrid, you'll see sightless, you'll see uh, direct to patient. Uh, and I think one major effort to help try to you know, move us as an industry towards alignment was uh, aligning on a consistent nomenclature. And so uh, there have been some uh, focused organizations, uh, the, uh, the FDA and a few uh, other organizations that strongly encourage us to align on consistent nomenclature. And so decentralized clinical trials uh, is, is what we have been, uh, been encouraged to reference this model. Uh, and so change management, understanding what is needed to move forward, uh, educating industry internally on what is needed uh, around the different elements and aspects of decentralized clinical trials is certainly some uh, are, are major challenges. And the other pieces, you know, you think about the infrastructure uh, that is needed to move and, and migrate to a successful decentralized clinical trial. Many organizations have these monolithic you know, systems that are, they're, they're, they're inflexible, they're hard to kind of pivot. And, and so what you're finding is the organizations that are really um, moving forward with helping spur adoption in our industry are having platforms that are either integrated or fully, you know, uh, fully uh, uh, platforms that are fully dedicated to decentralized purpose-built platforms. And so these solutions often, um, are not aligned with the traditional solutions that have supported uh, the traditional clinical trials. So I think first and foremost, change, change management is certainly a, a major challenge uh, that the industry faces, uh, but it's not insurmountable. I think, you know, um, looking at technology, infrastructure, education, SOP adoption, I mean, those are some major considerations uh, that I would you know, strongly uh, offer up uh, as insights. Yeah, and I appreciate that. I think um, that's some of the motivation for Archimedics to to uh, launch this interview series is just really recognizing um, the difficulties facing us because of the pandemic, but also the forcing function that it offers for innovation, right? Because like you said, those traditional, you know, why should I try this? Um, what's kind of in it for me is gone. And there really is that like immediate pressure uh, to move off of some of the old paradigms. So um, you know, we're eager to have those conversations and, like you said, get the word out about the different nomenclatures and help people really demystify what all of these pieces mean uh, and adopt them as quickly as possible so that we can bring real positive change, you know, to patients. So I, I love and appreciate your mission. Um, so we talk about it a little bit and you, you've hit on it even with your family's backstory, um, but let's just really dig into it more directly. The idea that we see it even in the COVID vaccines. We know we need strong minority representation in order to have strong data sets. 
and data sets that, that we can trust. Um, but despite knowing that and even talking about it uh, more directly now, um, we don't see it in the numbers. We're still, we're still struggling to see it in the numbers. So from your perspective, how can we enroll and ensure minority representation across clinical trial research? Absolutely. And again, I think this uh, speaks to one of the considerations around how we're differentiated as a, uh, uh, a traditional CRO. Uh, Ravellis has actually made it, uh, you know, our social mission uh, to uh, really invest uh, and to make uh, a commitment as an organization enterprise-wide uh, to really focus on what role we can play in addressing some of the many barriers that prevent uh, uh, ethnic minorities in, uh, in underserved communities from participating in clinical trials. We do understand that there actually is a, a very long history of uh, our industry really trying to tackle this. There's been uh, a, a lot of pressure from uh, industry stakeholders to uh, request that you know our, our regulatory bodies to impose you know uh, you know uh, more policy changes that would require certain uh, you know elements of you know. Um, I would say, you know, requirements for diversity in clinical trials and, 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 and recruitment rates. So I think that certainly is something as an industry we've been talking about for quite some time. I do want to take an opportunity to underscore, you know, uh, one of the things that makes, uh, you know, getting, uh, you know, people of color, ethnic minorities to participate in clinical trials. Uh, it is not one singular issue. There is a uh, there are so many things that need to be, you know, carefully managed to help uh, in, in, increase enrollment and engagement. But I, I want to um, underscore that one of the most meaningful considerations is the fact that people uh, of color, ethnic minorities, African American, Black, have had a history that warrants mistrust, not only from a medical community, but there's also a general societal uh, mistrust. And so that has created a barrier that again is insurmountable, but it takes time. And so you take what we are experiencing with the COVID trials with operational uh, warp speed, and <laughs> you try to combine the need to accelerate the process, but the fact that developing those relationships, getting into those communities uh, educating and bringing awareness about the importance of clinical trials, that takes time. And that time needs to be well spent with uh, uh, with those communities so that they are willing to participate. Because there's a difference between willingness and the fact that there actually is a history of mistrust. Mm -hmm. uh, many patients are willing, uh, but we have to get them to a place where they understand they understand what their, uh, you know, what what their rights are. They understand what the value of clinical research, and ultimately the importance of having proper and adequate representation in clinical trials, uh, uh, particularly in you know uh, uh, therapies or disease group or therapeutic focuses where those patients are disproportionately, uh, you know, impacted. Absolutely. You know, sometimes I think it can help if people can envision like a, a user story or a, a success story, a, a patient profile of somebody who is benefiting from decentralized trials 
Is that something that you have and that you could share? Like, what is um, a profile of a, a, a potential patient who traditionally may not have participated, but because of decentralized trials, you know, is that that you could share with with the audience? Yeah, I mean, so we have uh, you know a really nice story, and it was actually um, a story from a, uh, a pediatric patient. And you know, again, uh, we 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 you know most of the, our industry, we, you know, we know that, uh, you know, when obviously children are involved and pediatric patients involved, it tucked at your heart. And we had a, uh, an experience with a particularly a muscular dystrophy uh, patient uh, who uh, was definitely willing. Uh, the parents and the caregivers had you know, decided that uh, participating in a clinical trial was certainly uh, the, the, the right option and the right direction uh, for their family. Uh, and uh, because of the actual um, difficulties with traveling and the immobility that that patient experienced, and not only from but the inconvenience that traveling from their home where they resided to the actual site, which was at, uh, as I recall, I think it was roughly four to six hours away, um, uh, we were able to uh, you know, it, get engaged and ultimately through uh, working with the sponsor, working directly very closely with the PI and the research teams and their staff, we were able to identify uh, a way in which we can provide uh, much of the services. Again, a lot of the clinical procedures that were needed uh, and historically done at the site could be done, uh, you know, safely in the patient's home. And so by doing so, that patient was able to participate in a, uh, in a clinical trial. Uh, and, uh, you know, and actually uh, it was a beautiful story that one of our industry um, uh, industry groups or advocacy, patient advocacy groups, I recall that that, that patient shared a beautiful story about, um, you know, uh, and the parents sharing a beautiful story of that patient being able to participate in the trial and what it meant to uh, them uh, from an empowerment standpoint uh, and, 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 and more importantly, uh, the, the hope for, uh, you know, a discovery of a, of, of, of a therapy or a treatment was really one of the underlying reasons for participating. Yeah, thank you. That, that's a great, you know, more personalized example that I think people can really relate to. And like you said, you know, nothing motivates most of our teams um, like a pediatric, uh, you know, effort. So, yeah, that, that's great. Um, I think, you know, I'd love to hear more like building off of that. Just if, I, if I'm a sponsor and I, I've caught the buzzword and I understand that decentralized trials is something I should be thinking about, but I've never done it before. How do I start? What what do I think about? Yeah, no. So, uh, so there's there's so many there's so many considerations. And so one of the things that we like to do as a consultative approach is uh, is to engage uh, your particular, you know, service advisors, uh, you know, your 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 collaborators, whether it's your CROs or technology uh, providers, engage them earlier so that they can uh, pine and provide consultative solutions on helping you think about digital endpoints, helping you think about the the operational complexity, helping you think about looking at the schedule of events and. And looking at the procedures and seeing where, you know, again, many of the traditional uh, procedures can be done, whether it's mobile phlebotomy or in-home nursing. And so uh, what I would strongly recommend is, is, is as you think about decentralized clinical trials is to uh, contact 
organizations like Rebellus, or and there are many uh, organizations that are uh, that are actually really spurring our industry on. Whether it's a technology uh, service uh, provide, I'm sorry, a technology provider, or there are technology and service providers like Rebellus. I would say you know engage these organizations. And I think secondary, I would say, really begin to think about the patients. Um, I think you know uh, often. Um, you know, we, we designed the clinical trial. We've, we've spent, uh, you know, a, a lot of energy crafting a protocol. And we, we often miss how important it is to go back and to talk to the patients, uh, particularly with rare disease, complex diseases. I would strongly encourage you to reach out to, you know, those, those groups, the patient advocacy groups, begin to engage them, understand, you know, uh, their odyssey, how the trial can be incorporated into their lifestyle. What is the disease manifestation? What are some of the burdens that are placed on that trial, on the, on that patient, uh, so that you can again have a more informed uh, and more patient-centric protocol, uh, which often will lend itself to including an element of you know the decentralized clinical trial approach. And then last but not least is you know just make sure that you know you begin to think about. Um, you know, what are what are all of the, the different levels of complexity from regulatory, uh, in, uh, you know, uh, requirements to uh, quality oversight uh, to that is needed to ensure a successful uh, decentralized clinical trials. Uh, and so, you know, at Revelis, we do, uh, you know, take this matter very seriously because we understand that at this particular junction, our industry is looking for uh, insights and direction. And so we've created a tool called the Ravellis DCT Greater where we can help um, help sponsors that are ultimately uh, evaluating their fit, their trials fit for decentralized clinical trials. We can help provide them with, uh, you know, ultimately a, a tool that'll help guide them around the right direction and how to think about their trial uh, and their organizational fit, which is equally important. Yeah, that's great. Like really helping them figure out what what options they have and how their trial works. I heard you say a couple of things like in some ways it's a, it's a really interesting in the duration of my career. It's almost like how far we've come. Right. It used to be um, don't forget to think about the sites uh, when you're crafting your protocol. Right. You'd sit in a room and you'd put all the science in and then you'd send it to the sites and they would say, wow, I can't execute that. It's so very difficult. And now with all the technology and, and all the evolution, we're talking about patients in their homes and how to make the protocol, you know, executable for, for them. So in some ways it's, um, look how far we've come, how fast, even though sometimes it feels, you know, so slow. I want to touch on that because I think that's such an important part. The, the, the site, uh, the principal investigator and the clinical research site, I, I actually think, you know, with the, you know, the, all of the sensationalism and the sizzle around decentralized clinical trials, I think the sites are uh, the stakeholders that are often forgotten. Because again, a lot of the confusion around virtual and sightless, but uh, we at Ravellis believe that the site uh, plays a critical role in the ecosystem of clinical development. And so I think making sure that the sites clearly understand their role, what aspects of decentralized clinical trials 
uh, will, you know, what the principal, uh, the principal investigators oversight. Uh, often, when you're using a decentralized clinical trial approach, you're you're leveraging local home health care providers. These providers are probably, in in many regards, great at providing care. They often don't have uh, extensive research experience. And so uh, making sure that they're well trained on what is expected from a regulatory uh, and compliance and data quality is, is important. But more importantly, making sure that the site is equipped and that they have the level of transparency that is needed to feel comfortable about uh, uh, those activities being extended as an extension of the site's uh, great work. And so, um, again, wasn't my intent, but I, I do think, um, you know, the site is, uh, you know, often uh, overlooked um, and um, uh, and should not be. The sites that certainly uh, play a critical role and will continue to play a critical role uh, in the clinical development process. Yeah, that's a great point um, that that they need to have that transparency uh, to feel comfortable with some of their what they're traditionally responsible for being extended so far out. Uh, past their control um, does take um, a lot of preparation um, and a lot of transparency. So yeah, that's really worthy point of revisiting. If we kind of keep going on decentralized uh, trials, you know, this is really just the beginning, right? Um, so I guess, you know, since you're really rooted in it and this is your passion and your, your experience, like where do you see decentralized trials going? What's the near term and the far term look like for all of us? You know, I am, Kelly, I'm, I'm incredibly bullish about uh, what the future has for our industry with the adoption of decentralized clinical trials. I think there was a recent survey that said that uh, as a result of COVID-19, nearly 30, 36% of the clinical trials had uh, been modified to include uh, decentralized clinical trial approaches. I think, um, you know, I, um, I'm recalling a, another uh, industry survey I think it was close to nearly two thirds of the industry said that they would be strongly considering incorporating decentralized clinical trials uh, approaches in their in their study design. So I think the industry is 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 uh, very uh, excited. I think largely uh, the the paradigm and the general position has shifted from you know decentralized clinical trials used to be viewed as an innovation. Now a risk mitigation strategy with, uh, you know, um, many sites still being inaccessible, many sites still being, uh, you know, having increased burden placed on them from the level of complexity with trials, lack of qualified sites, the competitive nature of, you know, uh, recruiting patients. So I think I think decentralized clinical trials and all of its advantages will continue to spur our industry forward. And so I'm in, incredibly bullish about it. I'm, in, I'm excited about uh, the uh, proliferation of these digital health assets and integrated technologies. I think, um, you know, um, unlike uh, many industries where there is a transformation, your regulatory bodies are often uh, five to six years behind. Uh, this isn't a case with uh, clinical development and, and research. We we see where uh, you know the FDA is um, you know is really out front, and the leadership are broadly endorsing clinical uh, decentralized clinical trials. 
uh, as a way to provide a more patient-centric clinical trial and, and how it ties into the Modernization Clinical Trials Act. So we have uh, we have the right momentum as an industry. I think we need to continue to think about societal factors such as, you know, patients are becoming more, uh, you know, engaged. They're increased in their overall kind of consumerism. They, they want to be, uh, they want to be engaged and empowered. They're no longer just data providers. They want to know how the data is going to be used. Uh, and they are taking certainly an active role. So you, you just think about, you know, uh, again, the, you know, the, the advancements around technology solutions, societal factors, we still have uncertainty, um, uh, global uncertainty around uh, COVID-19. I think all of these uh, uniquely position decentralized clinical trials is certainly uh, a way to uh, facilitate the continuation of clinical trials activity. Yeah, thank you very much. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, it crystallizes the opportunity when you uh, face the challenges of the pandemic. And like you said, um, it pushes us past the site because we can't get to the site anymore. Um, and this research has to continue because under underneath, I think everybody's just passionate about bringing solutions to, to these patients. So I really appreciate all of your insight and, and you sharing all these, um, these wonderful points. Um, how can people find Revelis? Well, yes. So uh, we certainly uh, would love for people to reach out to us uh, again uh, as an emerging uh, company. Uh, you know, we often have to deal with the fact that uh, we're not a uh, we're not a household name, uh, uh, but soon to be uh, more recognized for uh, the care and the service we provide. But yes, you can directly uh, you know visit us at our website at www.revelasclinical.com. We can also be uh, connected. Uh, on LinkedIn. We'd love to connect and value connecting other life science and clinical development leaders. So LinkedIn, we do have a, a Rebellious Clinical Services page. Uh, please uh, you know, like us and, and subscribe to uh, uh, our blogs. We, you know, we are really, uh, as an organization, have uh, you know, uh, established that we want to continue to be a thought leader around decentralized clinical trials and helping educate the industry and helping inform um, and really, you know, address some of the, you know, this, un, the, the, the lack of clarity around what decentralized clinical trial approaches are. And then last but not least, um, uh, you know, uh, we have a, um, we have a, a DCT grader that is a tool that's on our website. And that tool, again, is to help uh, sponsors and other uh, life science leaders that are evaluating decentralized clinical trials the intent of that tool really is to uh, provide a resource uh, to help you think about the different aspects of uh, the trial design as well as the organizational fit. And I think they're equally as important, which is, you know, um, designing for the protocol, designing the trial, but also to is the organization in a place where uh, they're, um, you know, uh, willing to move forward with um, uh, decentralized clinical trial approaches. Uh, and in which you, um, you know, you'll get a, a, a rating of, of sorts that'll tell you your, your overall fit for uh, and readiness. And, and again, we would love to uh, be engaged. And if there's any, uh, you know, if there's anyone that's interested in speaking with me directly, I can be reached at arquez.starling at rebellisclinical.com. Great. Appreciate that. Thank you. Okay. 
Thank you so much for joining us on this episode of Conversations in Clinical Trial Readiness. If you're interested in learning more about our team, head to our website, archimedics.com, or follow us on LinkedIn. If you like what you've just heard, please share with a friend and don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review this podcast. Thanks for joining us.